All right, we're continuing our sermon series. We're in 1 Samuel, looking at the life of David. David, last week we saw, was anointed to be the king. He was the eighth son that this guy named Jesse had. He was out keeping sheep. He forgot to invite him to the table. When Samuel shows up to anoint the king, first seven boys passed by. This isn't the one, this isn't the one, this isn't the one. Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any more boys? Yeah, but he's the one out keeping the sheep. They invite him. Boom. That's exactly who God had to be the next king. And we remember that God doesn't look at outward appearance. God is looking at the heart. And David has a heart that goes after God. And so I want us just to remember that because there's a lot of people that give off a lot of appearances. But nobody's fooling God. He looks at your heart. And he knows if you are after him or after something else. And he is continually inviting you back to himself. And then we get to the text today. Now listen, there have been some famous fights throughout history. The most popular of recent mind is Muhammad Ali's trilogy with Joe Frazier. It was one of the most well-attended, most viewed fights throughout history. There's been some great upsets. Throughout history, Buster Douglas, when he knocked out Mike Tyson, nobody saw it coming. The Reds, 1990. Many of you may have not been around. 1990, some of us remember when the Reds won the World Series. There was a picture on the paper in the Cincinnati Enquirer, and it had the manager from the A's stepping over, and he was massive, stepping over Riverfront Stadium, and it had little Lou Pinella with a slingshot saying this is our David and Goliath moment. If you ever watched the movie Hoosiers, basketball movie, small school beating a big school, the priest before the, the uh, game said a prayer, God, you were able to save David from Goliath, help us today, power us to knock out the giant. Right? There's a lot of times when we hear David and Goliath and the underdog pulling off the upset. The only problem is that has nothing to do with why David and Goliath is in the Bible. So today, let's look with fresh eyes. Some of us, this might be the first time hearing this story. Some of us have heard this story again and again and again and again. Let's pray, ask God to move in our hearts and our minds, and let's hear from Him this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I pray that You open up our eyes, open up our minds, help us hear Your Word. Pray that Your Spirit moves, help us apply what we hear to our lives. I pray that You help us see the glory that belongs to your son, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel 17. If you ever need a Bible, let us know and we will get that for you. The Bible is the most important book on the planet. It is the Word of God. God has something to say to you and we want you to hear from Him. So get in the discipline, especially now with an extra hour, instead of sleeping in, for that extra hour that you're given, decide that you're going to get up at the normal time, which is an hour earlier, dig into the Word. I promise you it will change your life. Let's take a straw poll real quick. With the time change, if you're not embarrassed, <laughs> with the time change, did you guys wake up the same time or did you wake up early today? If you woke up early, raise your hand. If you woke up at the same time, raise your hand. If you woke up late today, raise your hand. <laughs> It's an opportunity. I promise you it will change your life. 1 Samuel 17. Here we go. The Philistines gathered. These are the people that are 
warring against God's people. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Socah and Judah and camped between Socah and Azekah and Ephes Damam. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped at the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. So get that in mind. Get that in your heads. Philistines on one side. There's a valley, this ravine, and the Israelites are on another side. It's pretty clear battle lines. Who's on whose side? Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Listen, that's taller than any of us in the room by a few feet. Wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor on his shins, and Brown's javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and an iron point of the spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, Shieldbearer was walking in front of him. This is an intimidating dude. You would not want to mess with him. We're going to put some things up to help us understand this in just a little bit. Verse 8, he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formation, Why do you come out and line up in battle formation? He asked them, Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now listen, Saul's not a punk. He had been in battles before. He had beaten the Philistines before. But there's something about this guy, this champion, this Goliath, that paralyzes him in fear. Nobody wanted to mess with Goliath. Verse 12, now David was the son of an Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and during Saul's reign, he was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war, and their names were Eliab the firstborn, Abinadab the next, and Shammah the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Question, what happened in, verse, in chapter 16? What happened to David? He was anointed what? King. What's he still doing with the sheep? Just hanging out with the sheep. I wonder if David was frustrated. I wonder if he reminded his brothers, hey, you keep sending me out with the sheep. You know I'm going to be your king one day. I wonder if he talked any trash to his older brothers. But you see, again, day in and day out, he's a shepherd. Verse 16, every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. That's unrelenting. Day in and day out. Day in and day out. 40 days ago, we're not even to October yet. And every day the battle lines were drawn. This guy would come out and paralyze the army of God. One day, Jesse had told his son David, now I love that, one day. There's always one day. And this is David's day. He didn't know it, 
but it's about to be his day. One day, Jesse had told his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also, take these ten portions of cheese to the field commander. I, I love this. This was Uber Eats before Uber Eats was ever created. Poor David. He's the shepherd and now he's the, the lunch boy delivery. This is an amazing thing. This is the future king. Hey, take this stuff to your brothers. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring confirmation from them. Verse 19. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Isn't that interesting? Jesse's like, they've been gone for a little while. They are fighting. But what are they really doing? They're scared still. Nobody's fighting. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, set out, and Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up, battle formation, facing each other. And you know what's about to happen. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. But there's a new guy on the block. His name is David, and he heard it. Verse 25, a little backstory. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, You see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The troops told him about the offer, concluding that it, is, it will be done for him, the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men. I think this is interesting, right? This is the guy that looked the king, Eliab. He's the firstborn, the oldest. And now he's got this youngest brother here getting all this gossip about the battle. He became angry and said to him, Why do you come down here? He asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. Now see, now this is very, very scary. You have a brother who probably knows David pretty well, but he can't see his what? His heart. He's saying, you have an evil heart. We know you're just here for the bloodshed. You're just here to see the action. This is just a story to you. This is our lives. Why is David asking what will be done for the guy that kills Goliath? Is he just trying to gather information? No. He's about to go throw down, and he wants to know what will be his. He's not asking for information. He's asking for his reward. Verse 29, what have I done now? Protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from, the, from those beside him to others and in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. Remember, Saul's the king right now. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. Now, I love that. Verse 11, they're terrified. 
Verse 24, they retreated from him, terrified. Verse 32, don't let anyone be discouraged. I got this. Now, this reminds me of some Friday nights. We got a couple of players that mean well, but don't know what they're asking for. They'll see a couple of our guys on the varsity out there. They're getting tired. They need a breather. And my young man, freshman, will come up and say, hey, Brown, just let you know I'm ready. We love his enthusiasm, and we do know he's ready. But there's a big difference between a 14-year-old and an 18-year-old. And if I put him out on the field, mom and dad might come and get me for child abuse. We love his eager expectation, but he ain't ready. And this is exactly what Saul, this boy, delivering lunch, saying, hey, don't be discouraged. I'll go kill this guy. David's a boy. And Saul's laughing. Let's see what happens. But Saul replied, you can't go and fight. You're just a youth, and he has been a warrior since he was young. And I love this. Hey, remember last week we talked about the small things? David's in the pasture, and he's just keeping sheep. It's boring. It's not very exciting. You're by yourself. You're lonely. It's you and some sheep. David used that time. And listen to how God prepared him for this moment. David answered Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Most people would laugh at him. It's not a respectful uh, position. Not a very prestigious job. Your servant been keeping his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. I love that. You see how David's faith in his God has been growing through the years? A lot of people thought David may have been wasting time. Now his faith was growing to allow him this opportunity not to be paralyzed like the rest of the men. He was able to move, take the next step by faith because he's walking with his God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. Question. Was God also with Saul? Should have been. But you remember Saul ran away from God. Saul was now about himself and his own glory. Didn't want anything to do with God. And Saul knew it. And I honestly think that's what led to him being terrified. Because he looked at Goliath and Saul knew that he couldn't take him. And Saul was a bad dude. He was the best Israel had to offer. But his own strength, his own talent, his own ability was no match for Goliath. And he knew it. But here comes this shepherd boy. Verse 38. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped up his sword on this military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead... He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, put them in a pouch and a shepherd's bag. Then, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Philistine has the best military equipment, and now a shepherd's coming with some rocks and a slingshot. Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. 
When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. Right there, that means this is a young kid. Can you imagine being a champion and you're ready to throw down? You see the army and you know, hey, this, whoever comes out is going to be decent. At least he's going to be a little bit, of, he's going to be the man's man. And instead, here comes his boy. And he doesn't come out in armor, he comes with some rocks and a slingshot. Goliath's mad. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, now this is the key to the battle. This is, the key. This is what's very, very important and what a lot of people miss. A lot of people think, man, I just want to be David and overcome my giants. A lot of people think David was the key to the victory. It wasn't David. It was God. And you'll see it right here. You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you. What do you think he's going to say? But I come against you with my rocks and my slingshot. Right? Because he's naming equipment on what we're going to do battle with. That's not what he says. What did David come to do battle with? I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You see, you think this is a battle of weaponry, and it's a battle of God's. And God will get his glory, using a boy to defeat a champion. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give you to the corpse and the Philistines camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth, then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. Now, we just remember what we just read. Right When the armies gathered and the lines were made, when this guy came out to talk trash, Israel retreated, terrified. But not David. Why? Because he depends on God. Isn't that an amazing thing? When you depend on God? Puts giant in perspective. There was a giant on the battlefield, but it wasn't Goliath. It was the guy that David walked with day in and day out. So get this in view. You have this champion running towards the shepherd. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with the sling and the stone. David overpowered the, overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran, stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from his sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistines' bodies were strewn, were strewn all along the Shurim road from Gath to Ekron. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, they plundered their camps. They went from being paralyzed to plunderers. David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put Goliath's weapons in his own tent. I wonder if that was a reminder of God's faithfulness. Hey, this is what God does for me. This is the God that I serve. He's with me. Verse 55, when Saul had seen David going out to confront the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of the army, whose son is this youth, Abner? Your majesty, as surely as you live, 
I don't know, Abner replied. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. Can you imagine that? I wonder what Saul was thinking then as he sends David out to battle this champion. I wonder if he's thinking, man, I hope it's not his son. I, he gave a big contribution to our campaign last year and kind of sent his boy out to get massacred by this champion. Verse 57, when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Saul said to him, yeah, this is not, this is not a PG-13 story. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? Son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem, David answered. Do you see how much has changed in two chapters? Do you see how God can change things right now? You remember what happened in chapter 16. David was the son that was forgotten, left in the shepherd's field. Nobody knew who he was, who he belonged to. And now he's the warrior that won the battle. And nobody knows his dad. Do you see how God flips the script? He loves doing that. He does it again and again and again. Now, we got to do some work. I know that's a lot to read, but we need to hear the word of God. I want you to see this. David and Goliath is a historical event that happened years and years and years ago. But it's pointing to, it's a shadow of a greater reality. You and I face a giant that we can't defeat. You and I are facing something more fearsome than Goliath. I just want, I want you to, to have this picture in your head. Demarcus, if you and Mike could go ahead, put the tape on the wall. Goliath, nine foot nine. He has a, a spear. I compare it, and it's, this would be small. You, you know the weight bars? Trevor, you know the, the 45 pound weight bars? How far do you think you could throw that? I mean, it would be hard to throw that thing like a jab. No, how far are you going to throw that? Not very far, right? It's not going very far. And the tip of it weighs 15 pounds. Like, I'd have a hard time to hit. If I stood back here, you guys are pretty safe. As soon as I throw it, that thing's going to dive. Can't use it. Now, he had a coat of arms, basically it'd be like our shoulder pads, that weighed 125 pounds. 125 pounds. That is, for the guys that are familiar with weights, that is the bar, a 35-pound on each side, and a 5-pound on each side. And that's just what he's wearing. It's this jacket with bronze hoops on it to protect you against spears and swords. Nine foot nine. Nine foot nine. Listen, I'm a large dude. When I stood next to Anthony Munoz, I felt small. Anthony Munoz would be a shrimp compared to Goliath. There's a reason why the Philistines sent this guy out. He wasn't going to lose. He was bigger than everybody, he was badder than everybody, and he beats everybody. He's a champion. There's a reason why experienced warriors in God's army were terrified of this one giant. I want you to think about this. All of us in the room, we're in a battle, and all of us would have to fight but the people we're battling sends a champion that none of us can take. We're stuck. 
And day in and day out, he comes out talking trash to us. What I would be thinking is, I hope Mike steps up. Mike Hall needs to step up for us and go try to do battle with this guy. Maybe, maybe Coach Sullivan has a little Aikido left. Maybe he could work his magic out on, on this guy. I, I can't imagine what was going through the heads of the soldiers. But I know this. All of them were certain they couldn't take the giant. And they were right. And this is where I need us to see this. We have an enemy that's more terrifying than Goliath. We have an enemy that did something Goliath couldn't do. Our enemy took down David. Our enemy takes down billions of people around the globe. Our enemy cost the Son of God his life. Our enemy keeps people for eternity in hell. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. Our enemy is sin. And it's not some monster on another mountainside talking trash. Sin is in us. And we need a Savior. I want you to look at the effects of sin. Sin destroys marriages. You have a spouse that is selfish. Marriage is destroyed. Families are broken up as a result of sin. Racial injustices, racism, sex abuse, crime, murder. All of that flows from the enemy of sin. Look at what it's cost God's people throughout history. We're in the Garden of Eden, enjoying the presence of God. Sin enters the picture. We're kicked out of the garden. Murder comes on the scene when one brother gets mad at another brother, sins against him by taking his life. God's people are in the wilderness for 40 years because of sin. We go into captivity because of sin. Kings and kingdoms fall because of sin. But now look at your own life. And listen, I don't need to use any examples that you have. I have plenty myself. Sin in my own life leads to regret, shame, and guilt. Sin is a monster that I can't slay. Not with a sword, not with a spear, not with a slingshot. I need someone to come and defeat my enemy. And the same is true for you. The Bible, this is what the Bible teaches. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. You see, our enemy doesn't miss either. All of us are infected by sin. Everyone who's walked the planet is a sinner. We have a heart that's bent away from God. Isaiah puts it like this. We're all like sheep that have gone astray. Each one does our own thing. That's what sin is. It's rebelling against God. Did you know you were created by God and for God's glory? Sin is thinking that life's about us, doing what we want to do. Separates us from God. Keeps us from His presence forever. Paul tells us we're all sinners separated from God. Matthew and John talk about it again and again, and that's why we have a Savior. So I want you to see this. Number one, see your sin. Number two, 
see your Savior. 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20. I think this is interesting. Why do we have a king in the first place? This was the point of the king. 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20 says, The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. We need a king that will fight our battles. And listen, there's a lot of texts up there, and each one is important. Each one is important. Who was the king that was supposed to go out and fight Goliath? Saul. Saul didn't want no part of Goliath. So David comes up. And David is pointing to a greater king for us that will take on our enemy sin. And we see this again and again throughout the New Testament. In Hebrews 1, 3-4. Now check this out. David, the greatest king in the Old Testament. Nothing compared to the greatness of Jesus. This is the description of our king. In Hebrews 1, 3-4, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why does Jesus sit down after making purification for sin? Because the battle's over. Goliath's head's cut off. There was a... a a shirt with the Lord's gym, and on it there was a cross. And on this cross had the words, the sin of the world. And at the bottom of this shirt was a slogan, bench press this. And it was a picture of Jesus lifting it up. What you see, and, and this is the unusual part, David chose some rocks and a sling to go defeat a giant. What does Jesus use to defeat our giant sin? He uses a piece of wood and three nails. And he's crucified on a cross and he's dead and buried. Jesus was the one man to walk this planet that never sinned. There's nothing for him to pay for. The wages of sin is death. That's why we're dying. Jesus never sinned. He didn't have to die. But he lays his life down. Why? Because in doing so, death and our sin was dead and buried. I love this, this word in, you have it in Matthew, Matthew 20, 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to what? To give his life as a ransom. Jesus knew exactly why he was coming to this planet. Or, in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, in that you think, ah, that's not very strong. Check out how Jesus explains this. No one takes it from me. Talking about his life. No one takes Jesus' life from him. What does he do? I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. No one else can utter those words. He knows exactly when he's dead and buried, he wasn't staying in the tomb. And three days later, he bursts back on the scene and he's walking around with his disciples and he shows up to about 500 people. He's eating with his disciples and then they're just sitting and chilling. It would be like us on a Sunday morning. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, as he's talking, he's taken up to heaven where he's sitting and reigning and ruling and will soon return for his people. That's the king we serve. And he has defeated the giant that's called sin that plagues you and I. That keeps our world in darkness. You want to know what's wrong with Covington? It's sin. You want to know what's wrong with Holmes High School? It's sin. You want to know what's wrong with our marriages? It's sin. 
It's the bully on the block and day in and day out is coming out yelling trash. Jesus says, mm, not today. Not today. That's our Savior. Now, this is why I think that is important. If we put ourselves in David's place, think about that. All of us are standing shoulder to shoulder. We're lined up. The Philistines are over there. Goliath's coming and we're like, man, I can't take him. I've got nothing to offer him. I don't have the ability. I don't have the talent. I don't have the strength. I can't knock that enemy out. And I know you can either. We're stuck. And then David shows up. Says, fellas, I got this. And he sprints to the line, puts the rock in his sling, and, and it's done. What do you think the reaction was of the soldiers? They're not numb. They're not paralyzed anymore. They take off. They explode in rejoicing. And they go and plunder. Now, that's why when I look football games, sporting events, and I look at the celebration and the passion of people, I don't think that's a bad thing. What I don't understand is how are we so low-key on Sundays? How is our worship so lukewarm? How are we not eager to gather together and worship the man who stood in our place and knocked our giant on its butt, defeating death so we might live? How are we not exploding in joy? How are we not running in victory? Hard, yes. Life is tough, absolutely. But we're forgiven. We have a Savior who came and rescued us. We have a better king than David. His name is Jesus. Do you see your sin as the giant that's destroying your life? And then do you see your Savior? You, you see, that's the gospel message. That's how you see the gospel in David and Goliath. You have a giant that keeps you from God doing what God's called you to do. And then you have a Savior that comes and says, nope, I'll, I'll take care of that. There's a passage, and this is a passage I would love for you to get into your hearts and into your minds. It's in Ephesians. If, you're, if you have your phones, put this in your phones. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Now that's very important. Dead in our trespasses. If we are dead in our sin, we can't beat it. Dead people win zero battles. While we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is an awesome testimony, and I hope it's a personal testimony. You want to know what the guys, when they went back home from the battle lines, could say to their families? Hey, we won the war. 
We won the war. While it was David that delivered them through, depending on God, it was the people of God that won the battle. Now here's the awesome part. In Christ, we have victory. Your sin can be forgiven. There's an awesome verse in Colossians that talks about how our sin has been nailed to the cross and it's covered by the blood. You can't see your sin anymore because it's covered. Another passage talks about it throws it away as far as the east is from the west. Never to be brought up again. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We get the righteousness of Jesus because He paid for our sin. And that's true for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Have you ever done that? Today is a good day to do that. Your giant has been defeated, but it's not going to be by you. You can't do better. You can't try harder. You defeat it by putting your faith in the king that delivers. His name is Jesus. And then I want to close, and this will be brief, because I think too much time is spent on this. And it's what I call sling some stones. It's, it's the, the soldiers after David takes off the head of Goliath. They start running after the Philistines. David's victory enables them to move forward. And that's exactly what Jesus does. This is some personal application on how we can move forward because of the victory we have in Jesus. Number one, walk with Jesus. David and Goliath is a reminder you have to walk with Jesus. Saul was not walking with God, and he was paralyzed for 40 days. God could have used any of those soldiers to defeat Goliath. David was walking with God. He was used by God. Are you walking with Jesus today? Maybe your walk with Him is lukewarm right now. Maybe your prayer life is dull right now. Get back to God. Walk with Jesus day in and day out. Number two, live for the glory of God, not your own glory. Saul was building statues to himself. God doesn't have time for that. He doesn't share his glory with anybody else. God does not care about how great you are. And in all reality, nobody else does either. Pride is a hated sin by all people. Be passionate about the glory of God. David heard the same words that everybody else heard for 40 days. He heard it the first day. He's like, nope. You're not talking trash about my God. He runs to the battle line. And he says, hey, today you're going to know that there's a God in Israel. I love that. Does anybody know that you walk with God by the way you live? Are you pointing glory back to God? You make much of Jesus day in and day out by what you say, by what you do, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. Point people to Jesus. Live for His glory. Number three, be faithful in the little things so that when the big things come, it's just another step. I don't know about you. I, just, I, I like imagining David's out with the sheep. He's probably just slinging some rocks because it's boring. I would say it's boring. He learns how to play this thing called the lair that looks like a harp, which will come in importance later. And he learns how to throw a rock with a sling. But then one day, a bear comes and snatches a sheep. Now, I don't know about you, if a bear comes and takes one of my sheep, I'm saying, sorry, I'll count my losses. I'm not messing with the bear. But someday a bear came and took a sheep and David's like, God, are you with me? I'm going to go after this thing. I need your help. And a crazy thing happens when you walk in faith. 
you realize that the God you believe in is the God that is with you. There's been a few moments in my life where I ask God, God, I need you to show up. I cannot do this. And it's amazing. The God you depend on is the God that's with you. Then a lion comes, king of the jungle. I would never recommend you to wrestle a lion. And yet David says, nope. God be with me. Goes, grabs the sheep, takes the lion out. And it's just another day. And usually a boring day at work. But then there's one day where he's delivering lunch. And there's this giant, and it hits him. Oh, the God that delivered me from a bear and from a lion will be the one that delivers me from this giant. And it's not a big deal. You see, when God is big in your life, giants are small in your life. The things that terrify other people will just be another step with God. Depend on God, not your own ability, talents, or accomplishments. And, and listen, that's easy to say until you accomplish something. Isn't that funny how that happens? We start thinking we're something special. And I'm not saying there's dignity in every person. There is. But your accomplishments won't defeat your sin. Your talent and your ability won't overcome your sin. We're separated from God. And Jesus is the only way back to God. Depend on Him. Focus on Jesus, not the giant. The people were looking at Goliath. And, and maybe that's you. I know this, there's a lot of things in my life right now that could be overwhelming. Right? And just think about some of the things in your life. It might be a health report. It might be a surgery. It might be graduating. It might be life after high school. It might be marriage issues, health issues. It, it might be family issues with children. Might be how in the world we're we going to pay for college. How in the world we're we going to get a car. How are we, what are we going to do here? Don't focus on the circumstances. Focus on your God. Keep taking the next step. Number six. Don't be surprised at what God uses and how God delivers. Don't be surprised at what God uses and how God delivers. It's an interesting. Jesus uses some fish and some bread to feed five thousand people. One time they're paying taxes. He sends Peter to a fish that has a gold coin in his mouth. David uses some rocks and a sling. Saul tried to get the armor to him. He said, this ain't working. Never be surprised at what God uses to deliver. Know who to fight. Know who, hey, and this one, this one resonates with me. Remember Eliab, the older brother? I could see them almost getting in a fight. Uh, Andrew, my brother, was the water boy. There's a big gap between Andrew and me. There's an eight-year gap. He was old enough to be our water boy for Friday nights. Andrew was. We're playing Hamilton Bay, and we're in overtime. Guys are tired. We're trying to figure out what play do we want to run to get the two-point conversion so we can finally put this team away. And Andrew's out giving us a pep talk. He said, come on, guys, you can do this. You just got to keep going, keep playing. Keep... I got to the point where I encouraged him to be quiet. He told mom, I told him to shut up and get out of the huddle. Been a while. I don't remember. But I remember this. Andrew, get out of the way. Now, Andrew didn't turn and throw water on me. He didn't punch me. He may have wanted to. He knew who to fight. David knew how to fight. He didn't punch Eliab. He didn't get in an argument with him. He just kept, hey, so what's going to happen? 
Sometimes, especially in the church, we love to fight each other. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't have time for it. Neither do you. We have an enemy, Satan, and we have sin, and we have death. Jesus has overcome it. Our victory in him helps us walk together. Helps us know who to fight and what to fight. And it's not each other. Let's be patient with each other. Let's lift each other up. Let's encourage each other. Don't get caught up with Eliab's negative attitude. Goliaths are waiting. Be careful of others' expectations. Some people say, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what God has for this. No, walk with Jesus and go where he leads. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes God leads you in a place you never, ever thought you'd be. If you would have asked me when I graduated high school, getting ready to marry Julian, if I was going to be a teacher, I would have said, nope, I hate school. I don't really like students. And that's exactly where God put me. If you had said you're going to be in Covington, I'd be like, okay. Wasn't really on my map as a 19-year-old. If you had told me I would have had four daughters, I would have thought you were joking. Like, I'm having trouble keeping care of my car. How am I going to keep care of four daughters? It's an amazing thing what God leads you to do and how he blesses you. Never be surprised at what God might do. And then finally, be ready. Be ready. Just one day, David, go deliver lunch. He had no idea how his life was going to change. But you want to know what he was? He was faithful. Be ready. Walk faithfully with God and then watch how he uses you for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us together. Lord, thank you for being a God who delivers. Thank you for rescuing your people. Lord, help us see our King Jesus. Help us see how he defeated sin in the grave and how we have life in him. Father, I pray for those in the room that need to put their faith in Jesus today that they do it now. That they call on you to save them, that they turn from their sin, trust in Jesus. Lord, there is no Savior other than him. So Lord, I pray that you move in a powerful way. And then Father, I pray for your church, those who belong to you. Pray that you help us walk faithfully day in and day out. In the boring days and the exciting days, pray that we just keep walking with you and for your glory. Lord, I pray that we're ready for what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.